You know I'm a fan of Electrovoice microphones, and for this, I just want to pull out some awesome stories from Electrovoice. Hi, I'm Daniel J. Lewis from the AudacityPodcast.com. I'm here at NAB Show 2016 with Rick from Electrovoice. And you may recognize Rick as the EV guy. I watched his videos over and over and over trying to figure out what information I needed to know when I did my own reviews of the RE320 and the RE20. And the RE320 is one of my favorite well, it is my favorite podcasting microphone. It's a very natural sounding microphone. So Rick I'd love to hear. Tell us the story of how the RE320 was created. Okay, well, before we talk about the RE320, I'd like to talk about what happened before the RE320. Um, The magic behind the RE20 and the RE27 is a technology that we began developing in the 50s, and that technology became um, Variable D, which is our... Uh, linearization of uh, the proximity effect that microphones have when you're close up. Uh, uh, Directional microphones just by nature create this proximity effect. As you get really close to the capsule, the bass increases drastically and that's just the way they work. And the scientists and engineers with Electrovoice back in the late 50s began perfecting this very analog solution to an analog problem. And once I began working for Electrovoice and took these things apart and looked at how they did it, it's very amazing. But it began back in the 50s. And what inspired it was the fact that the uh, radio personality at the time was married to their microphone. They had to be right on the microphone. And if they shifted away a little bit, the tone of their voice changed and the the entire production changed. Um, That's what inspired it. You know, Electrovoice has a long history of listening closely to the needs of the, the professional user and responding with solutions that give them, you know, obviously the solution that they're after, making their lives easier. So Variable D actually was patented in like 1964 is when the patent actually was signed, but you have to apply for patents, et cetera, et cetera. And then we began putting Variable D in microphones from that point forward. And several of the microphones that we no longer make that predate the RE20 had the Variable D technology. We just kind of progressed and progressed and progressed. Now. In uh, 1983 is, no, 1968 was the birth date of the RE20. So we've been making the RE20 since 1968. By and large, the technology in that mic hasn't changed through the years. You know, it's still designed and built the way that it was originally designed to do. But it still has that variable D technology. And as you've experienced with our mics when you've used them, you can move in and out of the mic and and uh, change your position, and the tone of your voice doesn't change at all. I like that. I'm a, I'm a big fan of the natural sounding voice, and that's yes. the reason why I like your line of microphones. Is they're very natural, and I don't accidentally sound unnatural if I get too far or too close to the microphone. Yeah, yeah it's it's a it's a beautiful thing because it's such a useful tool for the guy that needs to 
not be married his lip to the to to the mic capsule and needs to be able to move around uh, just imagine the you know professional fm radio broadcast studio where the guy's a dj he's a celebrity he's got people waving at him through the window and he's reading his copy and he's moving all around he needs that flexibility and the variable d allows that without the the downside of the tone changing and a lot of these broadcast facilities use some serious compressors and limiters and as he does get out of range of the microphone the tone stays the same and his gain may change a little bit just by nature of physics but um, the limiters usually limit that that uh, brings up the lows and brings down the highs that's you know that's basically what uh, limiters do now moving forward I'm trying to give you a history back up or uh, getting us up to the 320. Um, in the 80s, after we began experimenting and perfecting the use of neodymium-based magnets, which put out a lot more voltage, the magnetic field strength of a neodymium magnet is much hotter than the ceramic magnet that we use in the RE20. Um, we began, let's see, we, we introduced the Endyme line of microphones in 1983. In, in 84-85 is when we launched the... Uh, RE27ND, and this was our experimentation with a variable D microphone that uses a neodymium element, and it does put out much higher voltage. It's almost twice as hot as an RE20. Um, and uh, neodymiums have a couple other characteristics. They're brighter, they're faster, the transient response is, is faster just because it's a hotter engine, and they're, they're going to be crisper on the top. So the RE20 has some significant tonal differences between uh, compared to the RE20. It's just that's the way they are. Uh, me personally, between the RE20 and the RE27, I would prefer to use the RE20 on my voice because I've got plenty of sibilance and you know that's just the way my voice sounds. Uh, but the RE27 is very popular with broadcasters as well. It's very condenser-like sounding, but it's a dynamic, okay? And it's just because the, the uh, neodymium magnet creates that amount of brightness. So given that history between what the goal of the RE20 was, what the goal of the RE27 was, after I joined Electra Voice in 2007, I began plotting my the future of the brand, if you want to call it that, and filling in where I wanted to take some of the microphone designs. And we concluded that we were going to approach the MI market, the music production market, with a less costly solution to an RE20-like experience, okay? And I had a price point in mind. I said, we got to get this mic for this amount of money. And it's about 30% less to the end user uh, that buys on the street uh, compared to an RE20. You know, it's $299 compared to $450 for an RE20. Um, so in doing so, I had to make some uh, calculated decisions about what materials we were going to use, what methods we were going to use to hit that price point. Because, I mean, you know, everybody's in business to be in business. Um, so in developing the RE20, uh, the goal was to use the RE20, I'm sorry, the RE320, the goal was to use the RE20 body and the engine out of the RE27. The engine is far easier to produce than the RE20. They're both handmade in Lincoln, Nebraska, and, and it, um, there are over 400 moving parts that have got to be assembled and put together in an RE20. An RE27, there's actually 25 parts, and it's a much less complicated assembly. It's just a more modern design. So we uh, took the high output neodymium engine out of the RE27, 
married it into the body of the RE20 and began experimenting with the production of this capsule using these two components. Um, during that testing phase, and I was very integral in the testing phase, using you know my home studio and music production environment, um, we began listening to the outcome of the tracks, and I was just missing some things that I had hoped we would be hearing. And it all came down to the diaphragm that we were using was not giving me the musicality that I was hoping to get for a music production microphone. So we began experimenting with a new design for the um, diaphragm, and what we ended up coming up with is an, a very low-mass, high-velocity plastic that moves incredibly fast. It responds, because it's that pl plastic element that responds to your voice and moves a coil of wire. So uh, its speed and suppleness is the key to the way that this microphone works. So we uh, perfected the, the um, capsule by improving the um, diaphragm. So it's very fast, the transient response is very, very quick. And the detail, what we hear is a really expressive detail on the top. Not bright, it's just detailed. Then we began working with the voicing. And at that point, I had <laughs> a couple of different benchmark microphones that I was trying to hit the acoustic performance of based on use case or on the instruments. And it was a lengthy process of, you know, trying it on this and trying it on that and da 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 da, -da until I was satisfied with the universal nature of it. Because I want this mic to do a really good job on everything. You know, that <laughs> I know that's asking a lot. But <clears throat> and, and and I feel like it does do because there are other microphones out there, sure. But I feel like the RE320 is like the most universal microphone that I've not heard a voice that sounds bad coming through the RE320. I've heard other microphones that sound great for some voices, horrible for others. But I think you've accomplished that goal with the RE320. Well, cool. I'm glad you feel that way because that was the goal. And, and to feel like I've achieved what I was going after, that's, I feel proud. Um, so anyway, I'll continue on with a little bit more of the story behind the RE320. So once we got the diaphragm created and the engine working the way that it needed to work, then it was time to voice the microphone. And there's circuitry inside of a microphone that creates the output signal. Um, I had the engineers build a um, kind of like a hot-wired just the capsule to an XLR jack, no filter board, no nothing. And I began doing a lot of track cutting and comparisons with the two different filter positions that we now have. And for the kick drum position, remember, this is a music production mic, and there's a kick drum curve built into it, which sounds great on some people's voices. <laughs> you know, it wasn't designed for that, but it sure does work. So I recorded six different kick drums, and dialed in in Pro Tools after the recording was done flat how I would EQ, manipulate the tones to make a kick drum that was really solid. And then averaged all of those different curves and sketched out the curve and delivered it to the engineers. And I said, one of the filter positions needs to accomplish this curve. So they had a goal how to create with uh, filters and things like that, the, the setting there. And then the, uh, the flat position, we just had to do one tiny little tweak because it was really, really good. Uh, it was a little hot at about 2,800. And this is where your ears come in and you go, eh, at that number, it's a little hot. So there's just a little smoothing dip at 2,800 that we had to bring down just a little bit so that it, it really sounded, uh, there was no harshness. It just 
enough to smooth it out. So ultimately, the goal was reached that you know people are using this mic for a wide variety of reasons, right? Podcasters, broadcasters, pro FM radio stations, guys on tour, miking rock bands, recording studios that can only afford a couple of microphones. They buy an RE320, they can put it on a kick drum, they can put it on acoustic guitar, they can sing through it, they can mic their guitar amp. You know, it's, it's really a, a versatile mic. And I, you know, given that that was the goal, I feel like, you know, we succeeded in hitting the goal. <laughs> and and I, I love the mic. You'll be hearing me use it a lot more in the Audacity podcast and other recordings I do. And so... We have you, personally, to thank for the existence of the RE320. I was part of a very strategic team. Um, You know, I've got a team of engineers in Burnsville, Minnesota, where our headquarters is. So, you know, I was the crazy guy, you know, sketching out all the crazy stuff on paper, telling the engineers it needs to do this and this. They're the response team. They're the ones that delivered, you know, the product. But, you know, it was a good collaboration. You got this crazy creative guy, and then you got the science guys in the lab making it happen. So, I, you know, I take only a small portion of the credit. <laughs> so at this point, with these three microphones, and you still sell all three of yeah, them, yeah. what would you say is the ideal use case for each of these three microphones? RE20 is, of these three, I prefer it on my voice because of my... Uh, the sibilance that I happen to have in the way I speak. Um, but, you know, I'll use a 27 or a 320 as well. I mean, it's not that I will not use either of them. You know, they all sound great. But they're different flavors. Um, somebody that wants a really lively microphone and bright and, and tip-toppy, you know, the, the crisp, super crisp on top, RE27 is probably going to be a good solution for them because it's so condenser-like in how it performs. It actually sounds like a condenser, but it's a dynamic. RE320 is going to have not quite as much brightness on the top, but it's got that detail of the top end frequency uh, components, right? So each one has its own best use cases, or if we look at microphones as general tools, they're all, they all do a really good job. I love the fact that you prefer the RE320 for your podcast because it's the best vo- uh, mic for your voice. It's great. You know, I encourage more people to feel that way. <laughs> so what's the price point on these three oh, microphones? Okay. All right. In the U.S., currently, it's 2016. The RE320 is $299 at your, your general online e-tailer. Um, whoever you choose to buy from, that's what we call MAP, minimum advertised price. The RE20 is $449, so it's about 30% more than the RE320, and the RE27ND is $499, so it's right at $500. So if you want to learn more about these microphones, purchase them and such, I have the links below this video. I definitely recommend these, but here's a key. Yes, there are some minor differences between these microphones. Please don't obsess over picking one and that delaying your launching of your content. Any of these microphones would be great. Uh, I really like the 320 the best. I think it's the, the best, most universal sound for most voices. But look at these, listen to sound samples, and you have a great YouTube channel for Electro Voice, and Rick has done several uh, videos comparing and getting into the actual, like, what frequency ranges are different between different microphones and showing you the internals of the microphone. So if you really want to geek out, click over to those videos and yeah, that channel. Yeah, that and YouTube channel is called The EV Mic Guy, and it's T-H-E-E-V-M-I-C-G-U-Y. 
So, yeah, I appreciate that. And, and when I saw Rick today, I thought, oh, that, that's the EV Mike guy, because I've watched his videos over and over and over. And then I discovered that he was instrumental in creating the RE320. So I wanted to bring this story to yeah. you uh, of these great microphones, of this great company. Check it out. I've got the links below this video. Rick, thank you very much thank for you. making great stuff. Thank you for watching this. If you'd like to purchase any of these or check them out, look at the links below. I'm Daniel J. Lewis from theaudacitypodcast.com. Thanks for watching.